Awoga, this is a 12th cast. Howdy, doodly do, and welcome to the live Ganymede and Titan almost instant reaction dwarfcast for series 12, episode 4, Macocracy. We think that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> this is a party political broadcast on behalf of the discussing episodes of Red Dwarf in Microscopic Detail Party, so please elect to join us as we exercise our democratic right to witter on for an hour and a half about all things Macocracy, or Macocracy, Macocracy. Uh, if you haven't seen the episode yet, be warned that this dwarf cast contains massive spoilers, so you probably want to stop listening now. But if you're still with us, we'll be looking at your comments throughout the show, so please do get in touch by uh, through the live chat on our Spreaker page, or by tweeting us at Ganymede Titan. I completely fucked up the intro there, but I don't think anyone noticed. Uh, I'm Ian Symes, and this week I'm joined by John Hoare. Hello there. And a host of lovely guests who will be joining us throughout the evening. Uh, Joey Newsom from the Red Dwarf Fan Club. Hello. Kerry Parsons, also from the Red Dwarf Fan Club. Hello. And Curtis Threadgold, who is not from the Red Dwarf Fan Club. Hello. But he is in the Red Dwarf Fan Club, I think, so that's something. I am. Yay. So, uh... First of all, I think this is going to be an easier question than it was this time last week. Uh, who wants to go first in telling us what they think about the episode? Do you want me to go first? Go on then. Um, I thought the campaign section of the episode was very strong, and if the rest of the episode had lived up to it, we might have something. Right. Intriguing. Uh, let's go to our, our guests. Uh, Carrie, what did you uh, make of the episode? I liked it. It was good. Uh, a good bottle episode, yeah. I did, I did like it. I have um, nitpicking things, but um, generally, I really enjoyed it. Well, there'll be, there'll be plenty of time for nitpicking. Uh, Curtis, uh, what are your brief thoughts? Uh, in contrast to John, I thought the first half of the episode was stronger, even <laughs> though it was quite like Dear Dave. Uh, and I think, yeah, it was guilty of a lot of things that have annoyed me about Modern Dwarf, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a thumbs up from me. I really like it. Joey? I thought it was a solid episode of Red Dwarf. It is my favourite of Series 12 so far. And um, I think it made me laugh more than any of the episodes so far as well. Which is very important to me. Yeah. I think it was a game of two halves. Uh, and I'm more on the John side than the Curtis side. I think the second half was stronger than the first. Um, but it was... The first, the first half seemed really sketchy to me. Not yeah. sketchy as in dodgy. As in... Well, although there's that line, <laughs> but we'll get is to that. that. Is there? I think I think there might Ooh. be. A, I think there might be a line. Well, uh, oh. if, if there is, if it wasn't one that occurred to me. But yeah, first like, it starts with uh, with a minute of Crichton not doing anything, which I think is very good. <laughs> <laughs> this is Crichton's face. I believe that was Joey's uh, first note from watching the episode. Crichton's face. It was my first note. I think just it was a very gentle start and. Just the amount of hilarity that Bobby managed to get across 
without a line being spoken for what 10 15 seconds i thought it was absolutely brilliant and i was at the recording and i remember everyone just rolling around in the aisles for that so absolutely brilliant you know what that reminds me one change of expression too many i think that little smile at the end should have been caught in just to have that smile what it actually reminds me of is and i've only just thought of this remember the bit in the man with the rubber mask where robert describes norman lovett doing stand-up yeah and he just walked on and just did nothing for how long was it mm. five minutes yeah i just wonder whether that it was inspired by that probably not but but yeah there, there was that and then that went into uh his what was it mech improvement lessons or something like that yeah uh i first time i watched it i wasn't sure the second time i really liked it because i knew where it was heading I think the first time it was it was just a bit weird. Kerry? Yeah, I, I must admit, I had to watch it twice to get it. Yeah. It was, obviously the comedy was meant to come out because it had to be a quick exchange. But I ended up kind of blinking twice after it finished and going, I don't think I quite got that. And I had to watch it again to fully appreciate it, if that makes sense. Is that the first part with um, that ends with Crichton throwing Rim of the Mop or the payoff in the next scene where it's revealed that it was manipulation rather than patience. Yeah, from from scene yeah, the scene one. So um, getting him to mop. So that yeah, that whole bit that it went so fast. The, the between um, Crichton and Rimmer, I just didn't quite latch onto it quick enough. I think it just went a little bit too fast for, for me being slow anyway. Well, Tanya said exactly the same to me. She said um, that uh, she's fed up of having to watch episodes twice to get them. I mm. think was her phrase. Yeah, well, maybe it's just Crichton did such a good job of manipulating Rimmer by confusing him that he did the same to the audience as well. <laughs> Very meta. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, and so what happened? Oh, yellow alert. There was a weird thing, that scene of Crichton down on the diesel decks, that it, it was quite confusing as to whether... I couldn't tell whether he was going back to the same screen three times or whether he was walking along and noticing three different screens that said yellow alert because uh. it, di- it didn't stay on the one shot. Every time he went out of frame, it followed him. I didn't get that at all. I, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I just didn't get it. I didn't register. <laughs> <laughs> didn't notice. I didn't notice. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, I'm pretty certain that was the same screen. Yeah, but it was... Maybe it should have just held that shot and have Crichton and en- en- exit and enter frame a few times to make it clearer. But everyone in the comments is saying it's clearly the same screen, so maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, like yeah, the, we're going quite forensic quite early. But there was, it's th- that led on to the the scene which was part of that scene with the promotion and demotion was footage that was originally shot for Officer Rimmer cut out and then refilmed as part of this. So Joe, were you at the recording for Officer Rimmer as well as this? No, I wasn't, oh, no. I was going to say you could have seen it twice. But yeah, I'd seen it because I was at the recording for yeah. Officer Rimmer, but not for this one. And so it's like, I'm sure I recognize this dialogue <laughs> from somewhere. The thing is, I think you can tell that it's I think yeah. you can tell it's lifted and yeah. I don't think it fits. Carrie? <laughs> Yes, that, do you know what? When I was talking over with Kieran earlier, I said, it's almost like that's a sketch in itself and it's great and it's a wonderful point. It does not belong here. Yeah. And so you explaining that makes total and utter sense that that was kind of shifted in and it feels like, I agree with John, it, it feels like it's been moved in. 
Yeah, I'm somewhere. inclined to agree as well. Yeah. And also, it's taking time away that they really needed for the climax, I would argue. Well, yeah, it's... We'll get on to that, but well, no, things we're we talking... Say, yeah, like, it's like, a uh, lopsided kind of episode. I think we're all... Yeah, this is the point where everyone agrees it's just whether, which side is <laughs> yeah. is better than the other. But it's, it's a series of vignettes, really, towards the start. In yeah. fact... Let me read it. Tanya Jones uh, couldn't make it today because uh, she's a fucking idiot and decided to go to work instead, instead of joining us here. But um, she has left a message like uh, when there's uh, people who can't make a wedding, so they read out a message halfway through. Uh, so Tanya's point, which I was just about to steal, was I felt that this was several good sketches in desperate search of a plot, or in other words, balance of power in review form. Uh, Crichton's trick on Rimmer is great, but it has no relation to the rest of the episode and actually harms the development of the main plot, as Doug then has to fit what is a good idea into the rest of the running time. The main plot kicks in 12 minutes in, and there's literally no reason that I can see as to why he needed to write the episode like that. I'm not 100% convinced that it has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. Yeah. Because I think there are themes there that... That are, are 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 you know are are similar and it kind of but I don't think there's but I don't think well I don't think there's time to do it yeah Kurt you were saying uh, manipulation manipulation is a theme that runs throughout the episode and that that is done through a quite a funny sketch at the beginning of it so yeah thematically I think it hangs together even though in like a like a linear story sense it doesn't necessarily I'm inclined to agree. Um, but I do think there wasn't time to do it. Yeah, I, I agree with John. I think the whole the whole episode feels one scene too late. Like everything, yes. if, if you emphasised that element from the episode and shimmied everything up forward, so you go straight in with the yellow alert because it's a great way to go in and you know to get go yeah. straight in, you know, into the urgency of it. Then you can lend, you know, you can almost finish the break comes after Crichton and Rimmer saying, you know. Yes, we're going to go against each other. I think it would have been a perfect way to go into the break. Um, so yes, I, I can see and, and I do agree that yes, it does have links and it does tie in, but only tenuously. I think everything that kind of bit could have been exercised and everything shifted forward. I think one, one scene too late is a perfect way of putting it. That's that's spot on. And if you'd started with the yellow alert, that would have given it a lovely little maroon feel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There was. Um... Yeah, I was thinking that uh, with the theme of manipulation, it's interesting that Crichton is the one that's practising how to be manipulative at the start. Yeah. But actually, when it comes to the campaigns, his is pretty straight-laced. Yeah. He doesn't manipulate in the same way that Rimmer does. That's I guess true. it comes naturally for Rimmer to manipulate people. Like, he, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't need the lesson. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, Crichton doesn't actually use what he learnt, I don't think. That's true. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. That's true. Mm. So that would have tied in. So if, if it had, if, yeah, if it had made use of the lessons he'd learned at the beginning to then manipulate a situation in, in the latter part of it. But then I suppose if you have that set up, you simply don't have the time to show that and perhaps later. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it did. Uh, Curtis mentioned earlier that it felt a bit like Dear Dave. I think it's better than Dear Dave. Yes, like, I think it is. The material within it is. But uh, yeah, it's that kind of thing. It's It's lots of little things happening at once. And that's why... When we were previewing it last week, I think, well, mainly we were quite depressed having spoken about Time Wave for an hour and 20 minutes, which <laughs> which thankfully this was not Time Wave either. <laughs> uh, but I, I sounded a bit down on it because it was a bit, 
uh, it's a show that's just set on board the ship. Um, and really watching it, all the the plot is secondary and it's all character stuff. And it just it just uh, lives or dies on how much you enjoy that character stuff. And I think it's a mixed bag within the episode, but overall the quality of it is pretty good. I think the performances from the main cast are, are pretty much on form throughout. Um, Rimmer and Crichton in particular get a lot of good stuff to do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that opening opening few scenes, right up to the ad break really, where it's kind of, and then this happens type storytelling. It doesn't quite feel joined up. Yeah, I agree. And man, they run out of time to actually bring the episode to a climax. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real problem. We'll go on to it. But, yeah. Oh, it, it, they could really do with that extra five minutes. Well, um, yeah. And so what happens next? There's the SOS virus thing, isn't there? Yes. Um, I really, really like the little exchange between uh, Rimmer and Lister. Is it a bit like that? Yes, it's it's very much like that. <laughs> that was really funny and quite yeah. understated and a little odd for a dwarf because they don't usually go that small. Yeah, it's it was not very really, dwarfy, is it? But, but I really like. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that different type of gag. Really, yeah. Then I, I liked um, I liked Rimmer. Uh, we're kind of skipping back now. I liked Rimmer calling back to the timing of uh, Rimmer saying "demoted." I think was very good. <laughs> It was like it was just it was just at the right moment, I think, before Lister had finished saying that his grand would be proud. But you know, I'm not sure I believe that Rimmer would be able to manipulate Lister in that way. Mm. I'm not sure I believe it. I would say also that I can't really believe that Crime would be able to manipulate Rimmer into mopping the corridor as well. I think that was a little better. Yeah, because actually, yeah, why would know. Rimmer do it? <laughs> go ahead, go just, on, uh, go off, yeah. <laughs> sorry, go on. We're all talking over each other. Carrie, did you? Were you saying something? No, it's just gone. Yeah, the... oh, gone. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah it, it, obviously you get the, the payoff joke at the end. Obviously, he's going to make him mop, but he would, would he actually go through with it? Would he actually sit, you know, mop for the afternoon? Um, <laughs> right for the, for the purpose of the payoff of the joke, didn't really sit properly with me. Unless he's still got some of uh, the mech left in him from a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> you like mopping, man. <laughs> I'm not sure there's that much joined up thinking in this series. But yeah, the so the remainder of the first part really is uh, abandoning ship. And we get Kat's uh, reading glasses, which was a big enough plot point to include in the series synopsis, but it's just it's a very minor part. I thought even the two scenes it got was a waste of time. <laughs> now, the thing is, right, Men Behaving Badly did a plot oh, similar yeah. to this. In 1995, and in 1995, it was a little old hat. <laughs> it's now 2017. Glasses are not seen as this nerdy thing. I well, don't... you would say that, wouldn't you? Well, I would. Four, right? I would. But I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't get this whole thing that seems to have stepped in from 1975. I could be wrong, but weren't those glasses Danny John Jules's glasses anyway? They're very similar to the ones he normally wears. <laughs> There was the, they were attributed to a, a dead crew member that we've Pestle. never... Pestle. Pestle, yeah. Pestle... Just Pestle. Immorte. Mm. That was a quite clever joke, I think you'll find. I hadn't even noticed. Yeah. 
Uh, no, by me. <laughs> not by oh. yeah, we, we, we'd never heard of him before, but Kat seemed to know who he was. Yeah. And that struck me as odd, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. And then, yeah, lots of, lots of machine talk. Daniel Barker's back. Uh, for the first time this series, Daniel Barker, having appeared in most of series 11. Oh, Daryl will know. Daryl will know. Daryl's been tracking uh, <laughs> that guy for quite some time. Um, D- Pendo says he remembers the glasses seemed like a bigger thing in recording, um, but he can't remember if any scenes have been cut, so he doesn't know why it feels like that. Can you remember? Because, Joey, you were at the recording. I'm, I don't think I, I could be wrong could be recording it correct differently but um i don't think very much was cut at all the odd line i think potentially is something about well a bit later on a, a cat meat disco or something but don't ask <laughs> <laughs> but um i don't think there were any i think it's because moving forward a bit i think it's because the blending scene at the end was done a couple of times right right so i think that might be why you remember it a bit stronger yeah uh, yeah, the consensus from a few people in the chat that were at the recording was, yeah, no, nothing's been cut. Uh, the thing is, the reason why that glasses sequence is there, presumably, is to give Cat a reason to help Rimmer. Yeah. But all I feel is it's like Hitchhikers, where Doug, Na- um, Doug Naylor, <laughs> Douglas Adams <laughs> says, oh yeah, when I was writing Life, the Universe and Everything, it was like trying to keep characters on the plot and they didn't want to stay on the plot because none of my characters they're all feckless and they don't actually want to stick to the plot that I plot them and I felt this he Doug wants to get Cat helping Rimmer mm. but Cat wouldn't yeah he wouldn't do it he'd go off he'd or he'd cause trouble what I'd actually like to see is Cat supposed to be helping Rimmer but actually he wanders off and gets gets <laughs> distracted but at least like at least because it was set up so that they were in pairs and at least there was something to give the cat motivation, because we'd equally be complaining if he was just helping Rimmer for no reason. Yeah, but I can feel the gears, man. I can yeah. really feel the gears there. Um, I think um, it might have been better if there'd been a different kind of bribe. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. That, uh, we we didn't really talk much about the dispensing machines themselves. Um, there was the the quite haughty <laughs> lady one, <laughs> and then the the cigarette dispenser was a gruff Cockney one. <laughs> what did people think of the dispensing machines? <laughs> it's always kind of like a red flag, really, because they've not always been done well. Mm. But uh, I think they were fine in this one. <laughs> I don't think the voices were distinctive from each other enough. Mm. Like if I was looking away from the screen. Yeah, you know, it could just be one dispenser talking. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. They had, they had three actors, I think, from looking at the credits. Daniel Barker is credited as a, a number dispenser and other voices. <laughs> I do like the idea of uh, machines getting shitty that they're going to be left on the ship and everyone yeah. else. Goes. That's just a funny idea, uh, and an idea I can't imagine any other show doing apart from Red Dwarf. Yeah, which is obviously a good thing. That's just. That was very nice. I'm not quite sure whether it pays off in the way I'd like it to, but I like that idea. There was the the tampons line happened there, which some people have been talking about, is like not getting what the joke is there. I don't think it's anything dodgy. No, it's just because they're <laughs> just that they, males. <laughs> they don't need tampons, yeah. And so, and the, that's the implication. They don't need the 
dispensing machines. The line I thought was a little dodgy was the Doncaster line, by the way. Oh, Doncaster. Everyone liked that, I think. <laughs> well, it's weird. I kind of I feel this is exactly what I was talking about last week with Time Wave when I say the problem with Time Wave is it starts you thinking less charitably about right. certain lines. And I think maybe another week you'd... Because I have to say, I laughed out loud at that. I thought it was a funny line. And then I sat back and started thinking of the implications. I'm not really sure whether I liked <laughs> where... If you start thinking about that joke too much, it starts leading you down some unpleasant areas, I think. Such as Doncaster. <laughs> I felt the rhythm of it was off. I was saying this um, to my husband. It, I felt the Doncaster... It should have been two syllables for the joke to work, in my opinion, like glossop or something. (laughs) (laughs) What are you saying about women from glossop now that Joe isn't here? (laughs) Well, that's the problem, though, isn't it? That's actually the problem you've just... It's very clearly... (laughs) It's very clearly a... What are you implying about women? Women specifically, yeah. yeah. And I think that's the thing that makes me cock my head. I thought it was a funny line, but it's... But he didn't say women specifically. He didn't, but... I think that's what's implied. Yeah. Really? I might not be being charitable. No, no, I think that is the implication. It's just the question is whether you, how how strongly you react to that yeah. as, a, as a joke. I thought it was really funny, but then I started thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Welcome to G&T. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I I laughed a lot at this episode, but mostly in the second half. Mm. I think the first half was all nothing. <laughs> and this, is, I think this is where we differ in our response to bad episodes, because you've just gone through Time Wave and you're looking at everything from a, a slightly more cynical point of view <laughs> of like, come on then, win me back. And I'm I'm looking at it and thinking, thank God this doesn't offend me. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's a bit shit, at least it's not offensive. <laughs> And I don't, I, and yeah, I don't think anything was was shit really in this episode. And uh, I know that's not the highest of praise, <laughs> <laughs> but but for me, I think we can move on now to the second part, and that's where it really stepped up a gear for me. I thought it was really good. As soon as the um, the election stuff reared its head, I think that was that was when it got going and it's a, it's perhaps a shame that that wasn't more of the episode like it didn't get to yes. that point quicker i think we can all agree on that yes absolutely although uh, curtis uh, you were saying earlier that you mm. preferred the first half to the second what was it about the first half that kind of like me and john might not be seeing what i felt was that okay it didn't quite work in a story sense but i felt the 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 jokes and the situations came out of the characters a lot more than what we used to like like, lately it felt rather than you know a a monster of the week showing up it was just these guys sat around and it felt true to who i think those characters are more in this episode than i've seen in in previous episodes recently i think yeah good i think that's a fair point. <laughs> I have no response to that. No, yeah, I think it's yeah, and it's just personal preference about which bits make you laugh. I think it is weird, perhaps, that a British sitcom would pick uh, a presidential election yes. to to do a parody of, and I think I know why. And I don't think it's the wow, 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 sucking up to Americans, wow, wow, wow. I <laughs> I think it's that. Um, presidential elections and US politics as a whole has stronger 
iconography. I can you please say it for me? Iconography. Iconography. <laughs> and I think that I makes it, And I think that makes it a lot easier to do the kind of episode they're doing. I think you'd find it harder to do it visually in the same way for a UK uh, election. Theo Pollard <laughs> says, uh, mechanoid. Uh, Sorry, I've, I've, it, it scrolled past too quick. Machine Prime Minister isn't as catchy as Machine President. <laughs> yeah, and I think you're right. The iconography was American, definitely the posters, and also the music um, is inspired our choice of intro music tonight. The music cues in the second half were just pure West Wing. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the it was sound alike yeah. stuff. I don't know whether that was Howard or whether that was Library. Because I'm sure that there's lots of inspired by the West Wing pieces in music libraries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think the tropes that they were uh, parodying in the dialogue and in the in the scenes were more British than they were American. I think it was a kind of hybrid of the two. It was, and I'm not sure how much that works. Yeah. I don't know. So there was the line that was clearly about the NHS about um what was the line free uh not free buttons free no no not free buttons free um Nelson Mandela. Kind of software yeah free software update and it's like well yeah but you're doing a show that's about that's riffing off US politics but they don't have universal health care that's kind of the point <laughs> Well, not in the same way we do. So it's just a little confused to me. I think it's a, it's a case of it's easier both for a British writer and a British audience to understand those references. Our servicing programmes are free. That's, that's the, the line that's I'm talking the, about. That's the thing that it's about immigration. The, the yeah. Yes, it's, it's pe- all about machi- immigration. Machines from B deck and G deck are, are coming over here and taking our yeah. whatever. And I think it skirted around, and this they were all like all the issues that they talked about were were mostly things that are more of an issue over here: uh, immigration, uh, NHS uh, equivalents, etc. Apart from the uh, abortion metaphor, <laughs> which was really well done, I think that's more of a US issue. But I feel that it skirted around. It was, I think, it was a, a clever and deliberate thing to do. To not actually have uh, any of the characters give their opinions on mm. on the the issues that were metaphors wasn't it? for real life things, because it was more about how politicians work and the rhetoric that they use and the how they weasel their way out of questions and the false promises and things like that. It was satirizing politicians generally and not any politicians specifically. Yes, I think was the thing, and it was. Um, yeah, th- those things were were issues that affect British politics, but in a way that wouldn't offend anyone on the left or offend anyone on the right. It, like, it didn't give an opinion on. And what was it? Crichton got cut off before he could answer. He the got question. cut off very yeah. deliberately on on the um, on that. But I part of me kind of feels like I would have liked the episode to have taken a stand. Yeah, and I know that isn't what it's trying to do. That's a very quick way of alienating half your audience. I think that's probably a good thing if it's the right <laughs> if it's the right half. <laughs> that's the problem because in in recent times it's not necessarily. Yes. So do we trust them to alienate the right half? Is the problem. Well, I think it it would have been difficult as well. I think it's more through luck than judgment. The fact that it avoids mentioning any specific topics 
precludes it from being completely outdated. Because, lest we forget that this episode was recorded in early 2016. Well, that's the thing. You see, should it have gone out during Series 11? Is my question. If it had gone out during Series 11, then it would have been during the presidential campaign, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it would have been. And I think... If it had gone out at that point, then it would have been weird that neither of them were like Trump. Because I th- this episode was entirely written and uh, and recorded and made before Trump and before Brexit even. And so all this stuff about... <laughs> it's kind of accidental satire. About this, the thing where it's too close to call because too many people are swallowing Mr. Rimmer's lies. Yeah. When Rimmer is going around making promises that he can't keep, such as giving an extra 350 million to the NHS <laughs> on the side of a bus, it, and and it being too close to call, it's an accidental satire of Brexit because it all happened before. But yeah, yeah going back to the original point, if they'd have weighed, weighed in on issues that were relevant in early 2016, would those issues still have been relevant now? Would those opinions, would it, would it have worked when real life has gone so extreme in the meantime? I mean, in an episode where we're doing gags about glasses from 1965, <laughs> I'm not sure it matters. Uh, I may be overthinking it somewhat. <laughs> um, but I think the thing is, a lot of political issues stay the same five years, ten years, twenty years, fifty years. Um, I'm not sure it necessarily would have felt out of date. I think also the other thing is is that regardless of how we're viewing it now, in five years' time, it won't matter whether it was in Series 11 or Series 12. Yeah. Yeah, no. That's so. right. it, it kind of needed to be timeless in a way because of that reason. Yeah. Um, yes. I had another point, but it's gone from my brain. Has anyone got anything to weigh in on the, on the political debate? Um, the attack ads were the best bit of the episode for me. Yes, the attack ads. By, by far the best bit of the episode, in fact. Um, I thought they were really good. And um, I think my favourite line is, do you mind he can't tell the difference between the living and the dead? Who's the Who guy? Who's the living guy? I'll Who's the ask. guy? That was one of my small points. Who's the bloke? Who is that man? There's a bloke in the thing where it's to illustrate the living. <laughs> it's a bloke with a beard. And I was expecting it to be a, a cameo from someone behind the scenes, but if it is, then it's someone that I don't recognise. No, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Can we do a reverse Google image search of his face? <laughs> Um, but that was uh, that was really good. And um... and is this the first time? This is a question. I'm not sure of the answer to. Is this the first time that old footage from a from old series has been reused in this way? Uh, in this way, obviously, you had the recap in back to, back in the red reuse some bits from Nanaki. Yes, but that's not quite the same no. thing. And oh, um, the recap to Ticket to Ride had footage from yeah. out of time within the episode but and we're not counting title sequences because no. two and three yeah but it's it's used diegetically within the episode it's like they this is presumably in universe this is cctv footage or something that they've it's a up. little weird isn't it? <laughs> don't think about that too hard i think it really reminds me of similar moments in doctor who like <laughs> both in terms in the new series when they sort of, sort of series three and four. They started to get confident and started to show you glimpses of the old show. Yeah, it was like it's the, it's the old it's the new era referencing the old era, 
uh, in many in in some respects. So it was obviously a mixture, but kind of more so. It reminded me of the moments in old Doctor Who where that happened, sort of in the seventies when they started to get bogged down in their yeah. own continuity, and show showed you know the Time Lords reviewing you know this is what the Doctor's it is, like, it is like and it's just footage from episodes that we've all seen. And the whole thing was very well thought through. So you had Cat accusing Lister of smuggling unquarantined animals. That's clever. That's mm. really clever to give Cat that line. Yeah. There's lots of really so yeah, I, I really liked and and I, I I really enjoy this commercial was approved by Arnold J. Rimmer and a smug yeah. grin. Oh, I'm oh, I'm oh, very oh, I'm yes. totally on board with all that. <laughs> That's the Red Dwarf I signed up for. Um also another bit of Red Dwarf that I signed up for is Rimmer patronising the scutters. Which mm. I'm more than happy about. I very much enjoyed the uh Hello, little fellas. How are you? Aren't they adorable? <laughs> and all that. So I'm. Yeah, I'm. I woke up at that point. <laughs> Good. Talking of the scutters, James, um, aka Sandable Object, mentioned on Spreaker earlier this evening. Um, it's a shame that the baby scutters didn't reappear so Rimmer could kiss them like politicians do with babies <laughs> to look like they care. Brilliant. I've, that would have been brilliant. I've never been able to figure out the baby scutters. Capsi has opinions <laughs> on the baby scutters, I seem to recall. I wonder if they've changed now that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's, people are talking about the skeletons in the attack mm. ad and how they weren't footage from... Uh, from Crichton, there were new shots of the skeletons. Uh, Daryl said that they were played by the same skeletons as we saw in Samsara. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the skeletons have been to Rada. Yeah, I, I think in my head, and again, I'm doing the thing where you fill in the gaps. But in my head, I imagined it as a a, a reconstruction. They because uh, they they don't have the CCTV from yeah. Nova Five, <laughs> so they they reconstructed it and, and added more skeletons. In fact, Sh- oh, I tell you what. Guys, we, this is the big debate that's happened, and it comes out of the attack ads. Uh, the line in the attack ad about Rimmer that he has killed the crew and killed himself twice. Yeah, that's the big question, isn't it? What does that mean then? It's time slides. That's what I thought. Well, time slides. Yeah, I think it's time slides. <laughs> oh, we're not supposed to all agree. Because <laughs> <laughs> the the alternative is that people are saying that this is confirmation that mm. this is the Rimmer that died in. At the end of series eight. No, that's bollocks. Yeah. yeah, we still don't know. But if it's time slides, Rimmer, on that timeline, he killed himself for the first time in time slides. Yes, this is this is what gives it a bit of credence. Is ah. that the uh, Rimmer dying in the end was undone in some way Correct. during time slides, so they won't remember mm. that you know in the in the history books, Rimmer died by blowing himself up. <laughs> right, but this is the yeah. same series that has Lister mentioning playing pool with planets. That was when that's be, supposed to be arranged. That was going to be my next point. <laughs> <laughs> I think what it actually is in real life is that Doug has written a line based on the fact that we've seen Rimmer die twice, and that's the joke. I don't think that Doug will have thought, oh, actually, but that means that it was undone in da da da. I think that's us. Yeah, I think yeah. that's us. <laughs> it's always us. Um, but yeah, either way. I think it's. I wonder if the footage used tells us anything about which versions of, of people this is. Was there any footage of? <laughs> I don't think I'll have was. an article on your desk by Monday. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we need to do a breakdown of where all that stuff's come from. <laughs> oh, the, my favourite bit is is, is Crichton with his finger up from, uh, from inserted into your body. <laughs> yeah. One of the few good jokes in in series seven. <laughs> yeah, true, it is. 
Dan Pendleton on the uh, the Spreaker chat has just said, Doug once told me himself at a coffee lounge that cock, <laughs> that rumour in Dave era was original rumour. Pendo's coffee lounge cock. cock. Oh, that reminds me. I really like Rimmer's weak singing of Four Eyes, a jolly good <laughs> fellow. <laughs> See, I told you, this episode just made me laugh. More there's than lots of good bits, and there's um, oh, there's one big thing that we haven't mentioned yet. Was anyone surprised? Is this a case of UK TV managing to actually hold back a surprise appearance? Right, okay. So I'm an idiot, and yes. the reason why I'm an idiot is because just before. I uh, watched the episode yesterday. I thought, I know, let's go into the UK TV play thread oh. and just have a look <laughs> at some comments. <laughs> and then I, I read the Talkie Tota thing and I went, oh shit, I'm a twat. <laughs> but until the point where your idiocy sport it for yourself. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, I knew. I was in the recording. Well, you knew, yeah. <laughs> Curtis and Kerry? Well, wasn't it nice that something in this internet era could actually still surprise people? Yeah. Yeah. How lovely, you know, an appearance was that, even if it was very, very small. <laughs> I was expecting a whole extra scene with talking. Oh, yay, talking's back. Oh, wait, no, he's not. <laughs> Never mind. Back in the way. Um, but no, how nice that it was something that people could genuinely go, oh, my gosh, he's talking. And that, that was that was a lovely, lovely moment to have in this kind of year. I think some people figured it out. Uh, said that they figured it out from the set reports, but uh, it's not 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 everyone by any means. A few people did, and uh, sorry if we, if if we spoiled it for you inadvertently. Eighteen months in advance. I, I think there is a bit of a problem with the scene that too much of it is just a rehash of stuff that was done better in in Whitehall. Having said that, I did very much enjoy Lister's repeated fine. <laughs> yeah, which actually saves it for me. It's I was talking talking about sorry, um, repeats from White Hole. How do you do? do his actual intro yes. was that original I th- audio? I think so. A suspicion it was original audio because it would be. It, it, he is he is a device. It would be a repeated phrase that he would be automatically programmed with when he boots up, and then it can go into any other conversation. Yeah. But it just sounded like so similar to the original White Hole. I am ninety nine percent certain it is. Same here because I I clocked it on my first watch and on my second watch I listened out for it mm. and the pauses are in exactly the same yeah. places yeah and and the sound quality is different mm. to how it is yeah. in all the subsequent lines which were recorded anew but yeah I like Carrie's thing it's it's his startup noise yes <laughs> it's really good it's his, his pre-recorded startup yeah. noise and then the rest of it is the fact that he's been locked in a garbage hold for twenty years well but well two things here. Locked in a garbage hole for 20 years. Twenty. Oh, here, here we go. So are we forgetting that all this shit in series six and seven happened but, with long journeys? Ah. But. Right. Carrie, you turned into Norman Collier there. Could you repeat yourself, please? <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of series six, we know that 200 years has elapsed. So it's not just been a, de- a couple of decades. It's yeah. been a couple of centuries, at least. Joey's been bursting. Joe is bursting at the seams. Who said they put them in the garbage hold? Um, you, they put him in the garbage hold straight after White Hole, though. Mm. No one said that. They could have put him, put him in there 20 years ago. But it's clearly the implication. Yes. That's a guess. <laughs> well, but you can headcanon it. I'm playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> um, my other problem with it, by the way, uh, so they have the whole scene and it ends with Talkie saying, you have my vote. They didn't explain the election to him. 
<laughs> How does he say you got my vote when he doesn't know what the hell's going on? When they walk in, they switch him on and they don't mention the election. <laughs> no, uh, they do. Lister says no, no. they don't. Do they? Echo in my hole. That was oh, I just my heart. It was lovely to have that that grill shot repeated. But yeah. he says right then, Rimmer's going to be able to take over. Well, that could be enough for Talky Toaster because the guy doesn't even eat toast. He's like, he... Oh well, this guy doesn't eat toast. So I'm not voting for him. <laughs> Does he mention the election at that point? Because if he does, I'll take it all back. I'm pretty certain he does, yeah. If he does, I'll take it's it all one back. One the grill, which says, yeah, something along those lines, and if Rimmer gets it, it's all going to go to hell, or something like that. Ha. Huh. I, I will re-watch, and I will, <laughs> and I will post in the comments uh, my retraction, if that is indeed the case. Well, look out for that there. So yes, so. Um, yeah, so... That, yes, the talky scene as a whole, I think you're right, for the first half of it, beat for beat, from when talky gets turned on, it's ex- Ooh, turned on. It's exactly <laughs> the same as the scene in Whitehall, like, the jokes are exactly the same, but then it does go to different places, yeah. and I, I think... <laughs> I think they could have done more with Talkie, certainly, but I'm not complaining about it. I think it's it was a lovely thing to see him in, lovely to get actual David Ross back to yeah, record yes, new absolutely. material, because it, it's been over 20 years since he was in Red Dwarf, and he's not a young man. No. He wasn't young in 1991 when he was <laughs> in Red Dwarf. He was, uh, or is he one of those people like Clive Dunn, where I always assumed he was really old? Because he played old characters, but was he was he in his twenties when he was Crichton? <laughs> no, I think he's I think he's seventy odd, isn't he now, or eighty odd? I David Ross, but yeah, Curtis. It's a real wasted opportunity that he wasn't in Siliconia, though, isn't it? <laughs> as another Crichton, as another Mech. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if he is in his eighties, maybe it wouldn't have been a great idea to put him in that costume. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, and the great thing about it is that I've often been a critic of Red Dwarf dragging things back that shouldn't be dragged back but this felt really organic and right there was once. there was a reason there for was him a to reason. be there yeah yeah so now it was uh, i enjoyed that but <laughs> uh no i have no, i have nothing bad to say about about the talky scene it's just that when it finishes and he says oh, you've got my vote that's kind of the end of the plot instantly yes it's a real problem we see Cut to Crichton making a very brief acceptance speech, then mm. cut to normal everyday life on the ship, and there doesn't seem to have been much of an... Other than the fact that Crichton is sitting in the corner writing things down, which is presumably him doing his presidential yeah. duties, nothing seems to have changed. I have a real problem with that. It's the worst thing about the episode. And this is why I'm going on about how I'm not sure about the start. Not because I think the start was awful per se, but it just screws them over for the end. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I, again, I go back to the perfect way uh, Carrie Peter. described it. We're always a scene too late. Rob Peter to pay Paul sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there's a real problem. There needs to be some kind of impact <laughs> on people, on the crew or on the ship. Yeah. And there's just nothing. Apart from Rimmer getting locked in with Talkie Toaster, <laughs> which I just want to bring this up. Our crew locking up other members of the crew is not a thing they do. Well, uh, Rimmer, Lister does swallow Rimmer's light bee and shit him out. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he does, that's true. They do lock him in quarantine at the end of quarantine. Yeah. Lister falls down the water chute at the end of quarantine. What is it? Um, Justice. Like, 
Was it just? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that's it. Falls a... down. They just kind of shut. Oh, and they shut it, don't they? But then that's never quite sat right. To be fair, that's never quite sat right with me either. Thank God for that <laughs> slam. If we actually want me to start slagging off uh, Red Dwarf one to six as well as Red Dwarf twelve, that's always struck me as weird. So actually, maybe I'll rephrase it. Maybe Red Dwarf has done this before, yeah. but I don't like it. But you don't like it, yeah. I think that's fair enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> It was funny shades of uh, thanks for the memory, how it ended <laughs> with echoing grimmer shouts going across the closing credits. And applause. And applause. Yes. Yeah. Which, well, <laughs> slightly more justified than the applause after the first scene, at least, <laughs> which felt to me like uh, the audience, uh, not unreasonably, but it felt like I'm so pleased to see people in front of me that I like, rather than here's a scene that was worthy of applause. Well, the the thing is, from my experience of recordings, what tends to happen is when cut is called, they get a round of applause, just as you would in, in any sort of live performance yeah. scenario. When it's the end of a scene, you give a polite round of applause. Yeah. Um, so whether that's just that, or people were... Can, like, Joey, you were there. Were people... When did the applause start? I mean, it was a long time ago. I'm not expecting <laughs> to. <laughs> now that I've actually asked the question, I realise it's a ridiculous I, thing I, to I have asked. I could not accurately tell you, I'm afraid. No. I, I don't mind the applause at the end, and I'm not sure whether it's justified, but whatever. End of an episode, that's fine. I do think they should have cut that first round of applause. Look, I'm an audience sitcom junkie. I live for audience reaction, and it's too much for me. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Curtis, uh, I'm going to ask you the opposite question to what I asked you when we finished talking about part one. What was it about part two that didn't work for you as well as it did for the rest of us? It's not that. I think the second half is really strong. I just think the first half is, is really good as well. I think it's a good episode. I like this one. Well, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this isn't the place to like Red Dwarf, I would say. <laughs> no, I know. The, the, the second half is strong enough for me to make me like this episode overall and I don't, like I was saying I don't dislike the first half I, and yeah I think the second half is just it's just really the debate scene we haven't really talked about much but I think it's, that's really well done yes um, Crichton makes who is Crichton I don't think Crichton's being anyone specific but it is it's the is using the tropes of politicians of answering the question well well I met a constituent the yeah. other day, and he said yeah, that, was that was a thing that I remember a lot happening in debates between Cameron and Miliband, which would have been like the most recent yeah. thing in Doug's mind when he was writing it. They both use that trope all the time. I did. It wasn't in that scene. It was in just the previous scene. But I did find a line. I personally believe the exact. Oh no, was it? Uh, I personally yeah. believe the exact same thing you believe. Two on the nose. <laughs> uh, that's two on the nose. You need to go a little sideways from that that's just kind of almost stating what you're doing mm. um that's that's it no I, I didn't yeah i didn't like it didn't like it so uh anyway. are we doing our little understated bit like <laughs> they did with the <laughs> no i'm just thinking is there any other big moments that we've not yet discussed from the episode there will of course be room for small points later on um, in the end of, sorry to jump back, but the end of kind of the abandoned ship scene, I'm going to step in for Tanya, seeing she's it away. 
Um, <laughs> um, I know she's probably clawing to say something very similar, but the Crichton understanding that the, the machines have clubbed together. How? <laughs> there was nothing on the screen to indicate that. There was no implication from the machines that that could be what they're going to do. It's just that, again, how do you know that's going to happen? And yeah. a, a lot of the end of that scene, or whatever is the middle, it didn't quite play right for me. I mean, Crichton could have come in at the right at the end of that. It's almost swapping Cat and Crichton's entrances around. So rather than Crichton bringing in Piney Shine to kind of piss mm. the, you know, all of the vending machines off. Why not Cat bringing in a hairdryer? Oh, that's totally essential, though. That would really infuriate them, because that's a, a mechanical thing that's getting off the ship and not them. And then Crichton rushing in of, after the alarm's gone off, that, that, that it's going to switch, you know, everything's gone back to, to normal, that Crichton's saying, this is what's happened. It just needed just a little tweak around, like I said, at the beginning. I'm, I'm nitpicking. But it just, again... The reveal, Crichton just seems to know almost too much of what's going on um, to for it actually to make sense. Should he have preceded it by best guess? Uh, well, I've, I've got a... <laughs> he didn't see... Uh, he didn't say best guess this episode, no. but he did say something uh, very, very similar, which I've got in my notes. Oh, he says, <laughs> it appears, <laughs> which is just best guess. I don't, I don't know why the, they had the bit where the machines club together to fix... To fix it, I don't know why you, that's a detail that needs to be there. I think my interpretation of it was that they, having realised that they were going to be left abandoned, they thought, shit, we need to get ourselves out of this. But maybe that needed to have been said. That's just me putting two and two together. I'm yeah. not sure whether that was the intention. There's a weird kind of mixed metaphor going on with the vending machines as well, because. Uh, Doug's at one point using them as kind of a uh, uh, a metaphor for the general electorate, mm. and then other times is starting to talk about how the machines are taking over. There's two different ideas there, and that feels a bit like a mixed metaphor. Uh, Curtis, I may be wrong here, but I interpreted it as the strike was caused by the virus. That was its purpose. Ah. Uh. So oh, the virus's yeah. effect was that it, it made the ship inoperable. Yeah, it affected the machines, causing them to have a strike. That's what I understood it to mean in the episode. Yeah, I think you the line that Crichton, again, it's so quick you're missing it, in the yeah. next, where they're in the candles, but it's not clear enough. It, 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 just, it needs like a line or two of clarification on both sides of those scenes. Just to iron out what the bloody hell's going on, frankly. It's just one of those ones we have to just watch it again to quite get it. And we shouldn't have to be doing this. We shouldn't have to be re-watching it to, to get the general gist of what's going on. I, If that's what they were going for, I don't like it. Because that reminds me very much of my complaint about Fathers and Sons with um, the double lister scene and how... Pre's influence started turning it into plot rather than character. I like the idea of the vending machines being how they are without a virus walking in and causing being causing so, a plot. Being so pissed off by what the crew had yeah, done. Yeah, it turns it from character into boring plot to me. So if that's what he's going for, I wish I hadn't. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying that Curtis is wrong, but I prefer the version where I yeah. <laughs> where it was just I put two and two together on it. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Do we hate this episode now, then? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we always end up talking ourselves around to. But no, uh, no, I think it was a good episode. <laughs> it was a good episode. Um, yeah, I, I think the the vending machines going on 
strike was yeah it, for me it's a character thing rather than a than a plot thing yeah yeah although it's, it's obviously it's there to set up the election oh that was the point that i was filling because i had <laughs> forgotten what my point was uh, when you said that there were two ways that they were used as the general yes. proletariat and as that's the word I was looking for. Oh, Thank good. you. Thank you for making my point better than me. <laughs> and as are they taking over the world? They were also they're an underclass. Uh, they you know uh, not fully enfranchised at the start because they they clearly see themselves as being equal and important enough to be taken with them when they abandon ship. And, yeah. and Rimmer very clearly says, "No, you're not coming with us." Yeah. And it, and I think he says as well, "You're not. You'll never get equal rights. You're a mm. bunch of jokers." So yeah, they they were the proletariat, and the threat that's going to take over society, and the the people under the foot. <laughs> There's an awful lot of, um, I mean, it depends how you how you view it, whether you view it as multi layered or confused. Yes, and I kind of view it more as confused, whilst admitting that I enjoyed quite a lot of. I think I think the same can be said about the thing about it being a mix of American and U.S. Uh, yeah. American and U.S. And, <laughs> and UK politics. Uh, it's either it's either confusing or I think just cherry picking the most iconic mm. bits of both and the bits that will make most sense to the audience of both. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> right. I think uh, we should have a break and then come back. Uh, so do keep your comments coming in via our speaker page or by tweeting us at Ganymede Titan. Uh, because it's nearly time for us to feast upon your small points, uh, which we will be doing. Uh, sorry, I pressed the wrong button. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing this really badly today. Uh, it's nearly time for us to feast upon your small points. So if there are any minor details from Macocracy that we've not yet covered, leave us a comment now and we'll be right back after the break. Miles from Earth? Deep in the heart of the solar system? And you fancy a curry? Then why not drop in at the Titan Taj Mahal Indian restaurant? Enjoy the finest tandoori cuisine at one-fifth gravity. Just a short space walk from this cinema. Hudson 10 is the new state-of-the-art in Android technology. Ten times faster than any droid on the market. <laughs> Ten times smarter than its nearest rival. <laughs> and ten times stronger. <laughs> Hudson 10, there's never been anything tougher. The ultimate machine. Attack of the giant savage, completely invisible aliens. You are crafted. 
has just entered the catchment area for the All Droid mail order shopping station. Welcome to All Droid, where shopping's made easy. That is totally astonishing. Talk me through this, Bob. You simply put your sugar into your coffee, like so. Place it in the housing unit, grab your stirmaster, and the stirmaster stirs your coffee for you. Golly, even I could do that. The average person who lives to their 90s and has six cups of coffee a day spends over two weeks stirring drinks. Oh, my. Think what you could do in that time. Two weeks stirring or two weeks skiing. I know what I'd rather do. <laughs> Me too. The Stirmaster. A lovely addition to any modern kitchen. Buy yours now. Tonight at 7, Premier League Croquet. Eastbourne Ladies versus Gloucestershire Girls. It's a grudge match. Gosh. And welcome back. Uh, it's now time for us to uh, have a little fiddle with some small points, and I'd like to see our guest small points first this time, uh, so that me and John just don't <laughs> hog all the small points as we have done for the last two weeks. Uh, so, Carrie, did you have a small point on this episode? I do have a very small point. Um... I felt that maybe Rimmer could have made more of um, his status as a, a mechanical being as one of his points um, when he um, is running for election. It seems to me that it would, again, would go completely against his character. Again, that's the point. But he's saying, oh, suddenly I am a hologram. I'm this and that and the other. When the whole series kind of focuses on the fact he hates the fact that he is a hologram. Yeah. Just something, you know, that he could have perhaps raised when he was doing his election. Yeah, I guess he went for the smear campaign instead. But yeah, that would have been a perfectly valid uh, thing in his favour. Uh, Curtis, uh, can I see your small point? My, my small point was quite honestly, isn't the technically machine. So ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so even even when we go to the Skype guest first, their their point still gets swallowed up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joey, do you have a small point? I have a couple of small points. Go for him. Um, I thought the four i four gag deserved a laugh, and the audience didn't. Oh yeah. Sorry, geeky, geeky, uh, geeky gag there. Um, but my main small point is, where's the print shop on the ship to print all the posters and rosettes? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the graphic designer? I don't. They got Matt Matt Clark scurried away. A Matt bot. A Matt bot. Yeah, no print shop, therefore. Although, funnily enough. Now that I think about it, they did mention printers ah. as one of the is kind of ladies and gentlemen scutters, machines, printers, printers. photocopies, something like that. It's weird. I can't figure out whether Red Dwarf talking about printers all the time is a bit like the way they talk about cassette tapes. Yeah. Deliberately uh slightly anachronistic. Or whether they just forget that printers aren't really used. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's used. I use printer every day, weirdly. But you don't think of documents in the same way. That abortion metaphor <laughs> yeah. about printing when is out. A document well, a document? I create documents all the time that are never designed to be printed out. And what I'm trying to figure out is: is this a deliberate? So it's a, it's a retro thing. Is it a retro future? thing, or is it just Doug Naylor kind of stuck in the mind of documents that always have to be printed, yeah. which yeah. has not been the case for many years now? <laughs> yeah, that was my small point, by the way. <laughs> so, What's your small point? <laughs> uh, I have a, a small point, and it's similar to Joey's—a line that didn't get a laugh, but that I thought should. 
Whereas when Cat mm-hmm. says to Rimmer, no one likes you, especially your running mate, that just got complete silence. Yeah. And I thought that was one of his best lines. I have I have a, a, another pertinent small point, um, pertinent because of the VT I just played in. Um, so Penelope Freeman plays one of the dispensing machines, presumably the female one. Um, and she has been in Red Dwarf before as the woman who says, gosh, in Officer Rimmer oh. at the end of the advert for the World Croquet Championships or whatever it is. I thought she sounded familiar. Is she not also the one, uh, the, the, uh, the lift who goes, floor, floor, what floor do you want? That uh, yes, also in Officer Rimmer. Or, yeah, yes. Yeah, uh, I have some uh, small points from the internet. Uh, Daryl's small point is turn the fucking lights on. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fair comment. <laughs> uh, Ali Green, speaking of lights, says it's funny how in the science room there's conveniently just the right amount of light panels to spell out yellow with one letter in each. What will they do if they want to step up to red alert? Change the panels. The... <laughs> but it won't use the same number of panels. I know, it? I know. <laughs> but yeah. What I... I... I actually so it's at Y E L L O W, so that's six. So if you've got R E D for red, so that's three, then one side's gonna be have one spare panel and the other side's gonna oh, have two. Oh, that's that's really that. annoying. <laughs> I thought this on the night. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's the So I suppose they probably get the scutters to go in and replace the panels. With slightly bigger ones. <laughs> that's how you do it. Yeah. That's why they never want to step up to Red Alert. It's changing the boulder means changing the panels. It's just too much. <laughs> if, no matter which ship they're on, it's a pain in the exactly. ass. <laughs> uh, Nick's small point is that the candle, the scene uh, that was candlelit really messed up the video quality when you watch it on the UK TV Play app. <laughs> because it drops the bitrate right down. <laughs> that really confused me because I thought it was the same bit as in the titles title sequence and it isn't is it no there's a further candlelit scene later on in the series which in my total sequence analysis I surmised is from Skipper because Rimmer's got a little thing in his hand that he presses just as the knife is about to come down so is there any shots from this episode in the title sequence I don't think so no no that's weird I was trying earlier and I couldn't spot any yeah uh, a friend of mine was at the recording and he reckons that the scene where Crichton goes up to the the camera and wipes it is from McCockersy, but it was a cut scene if it is. Whether it, whether it was or not, I don't know. Interesting. Oh, if it is a cut scene, then that's my favourite trivia fact. <laughs> <laughs> the whole Dave era. <laughs> uh, Tom Do... Tom, what is his name? Tom To The Moon says, uh, why wasn't Rimmer's light be affected by the virus? Because, um, uh, because, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone got any other small points? Joey has small points. I have a small point from James, aka Sandable Object, on the Spreaker chat. Um, he said Rimmer should have played up how he was a vending machine repairman. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's a bit laughs> but maybe, maybe he didn't want to because he's so bad at repairing vending machines. Yes. It kind of gives the yeah. vending machines flashbacks of all the time Rimmer's stuck his greasy hand up their nozzles <laughs> and fiddled about without their permission. <laughs> Another small point from James. Uh, there is a clip from Democracy in the title sequence 
uh, a clip from uh, the attack ad on Crichton is in the titles of series five. <laughs> Crichton banging his head against the table. And uh, Stephen Abootman points out that there's a promo picture for series 11, which is from this episode. <laughs> Cat uh, and Lister uh, sat uh, yes. uh, playing yes. computer games from the end of the episode with Cat in his in this pink sparkly suit. And of course, uh, Rimmer's poster image is from the Captain Bollocks T-shirt for Series Eleven. It is. <laughs> uh, that's one thing that didn't work for me at all. All the jokes about playing computer games instead yeah. of that just was weird and weak and and over-egged and just not funny. For me, it took me a couple of lines to realise what was going on, because mm. he said we were looking for um, headless monks or whatever it was. Yeah. I was like, is that, some, is that a ship? <laughs> is that the actual headless monk? Is that monk? a space phenomenon that they've just passed? <laughs> um, I have another small point, which uh, someone else has... I think it was Pete Part 3 said as well, but I wrote it down before, uh, that the lift from Give and Take is now a recurring character. <laughs> <laughs> because it was Daniel Barker doing the voice again. I cannot remember who it was on GNC that said this, so apologies. But um, someone made the very good point that if we had Holly back in this episode, then um, uh, he could have chaired the debate, mm. which would have been wonderful. Yeah. But alas, Holly is nowhere to be seen. And we will never see him in Red Dwarf again. Absolutely. Um, hold on a minute. There was another, there was a good small point, but the bloody thing has scrolled. Uh, performing monkey um, is saying, but the what was missing in the yellow alert was a, a model shot to show what danger the crew was in, uh, because it didn't feel like there was a threat to the crew. But was there even a ship? Was it just a virus? Was it like a little satellite floating that gave the impression that there was a ship? I, I kind of saw it as being like a 419 scam. That <laughs> they got yeah. they got a message in saying, help us, we're in danger, you must do this. And that's how the virus got in. Was there actually a ship in danger? I really I miss the idea. days when this kind of thing was just explained. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't like filling in the gaps to the same extent. Is, is this any different? Like, are these things... There's plenty of stuff as... You know, the last fifteen years of GNT have proved <laughs> there is plenty of gaps to be filled in throughout Red Dwarf. I don't ne- it's, think it's necessary. It is a new very, film. very difficult sometimes to, and we, I fall foul of it all the time. I do admit this between figuring out what is annoying you because it's wrong, and what is annoying you because you're not laughing, yeah, or you're not engaged in another way. So because you're not engaged in however you're supposed to be engaged, you're searching for problems, and I do it all the time. And I think actually it's. A, um, a huge problem with Series 8 where one of the reasons why I get so annoyed about people criticising a lot of Series 8 is I don't think the criticisms hold water, but I think they are criticising it because the series isn't doing yeah. <laughs> uh, certainly anything that they find useful, therefore it's very easy to make a list of problems which actually aren't problems, they're just you've made them because you're bored, and yeah, I admit I do do it all the time uh, having said that Sometimes it's difficult to figure out which is that and which are genuine issues sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's... I think... Because you can't excuse everything. No, you can't. And I think it's a case of sometimes if if something's not clear and it makes the plot harder to understand, yeah. then it's a problem. 
if it's something that's not clear but it only occurs to you when you're chatting about it hours later then it's not a problem it's it's, it's a it's a discussion point in the grand scheme of uh, this episode it's not a problem yeah uh, yeah this particular example isn't a problem as such yeah but maybe some of the other ones um that Carrie was covering earlier on that where things weren't clear on first viewing and it takes a couple of attempts to to see it, i think that's a new thing yeah. <laughs> that that's yeah. Yeah. that's something that you don't necessarily associate with the older episodes i will go with that um i think uh we're a couple of weeks overdue for some kind of news roundup are we not? We haven't had any news for a while because last week we were too busy talking about how god awful <laughs> Time Wave was. So uh, let's finally uh, have an excuse for me to say <laughs> it's now time for some news. <laughs> there you uh, go, that was worth it, wasn't it? Can we have it again? Uh, go on then. Right, thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Some news this week. Uh, leopard Lager t-shirt. They've released a Leopard Lager t-shirt. However, <laughs> it's not quite the same design as the can, the bottles of Leopard Lager <laughs> that were released in real life last week. <laughs> it's it's like they've it's it's like a recreation of the original design rather than being actually the original design. Some of the spacing on the text is different. The font of the main leopard word the main logo the word leopard in the middle is different it's like they've mocked it up but why didn't they just use the same asset <laughs> that they used to make the the screen accurate versions that were in in pubs two weeks ago this is the worst thing about red dwarf yes um i think it's a deliberate homage to all the slightly different versions of the red dwarf logo we've had over the years yeah it's well yeah and people have said on gnt that it was um the the sli- the slight differences would be more than acceptable if it was a fan made thing and it was released through you know Redbubble or yeah. Etsy or whatever. Yeah. But it's just weird. It's not bad. It's not a bad thing. But I would, if I'm going to buy a T-shirt that's based on a leopard lager can, I want it to look exactly like a leopard lager can. Yeah. On the plus side, another piece of merch that was released today is a Mugs Murphy mug, and I think we can all agree that a Mugs Murphy mug is a good thing. It is. <laughs> I've learnt that. I didn't know. I've, this isn't brand new news. <laughs> all this to me. So I'm getting something out of it, even though no one else is. Yeah. Uh, John's been at work all day. Game mugs, by the way. Say that again, Carrie. That's a total of the DJ mug. The DJ mug, yeah. We, there was a DJ logo a few years back that was based on Mugs Murphy. And so the fan club did quite well that weekend because no, everyone wanted Mugs Murphy t shirts and Mugs Murphy mugs. <laughs> and we were selling them. But now there's a real one. Oh. Um, in other news, there's currently a competition running um, to design a poster for Series 12. And um, I can't remember what the prize is because I meant to talk about this last week when I knew and I've forgotten. But it's being run by the lovely people at Poster Spy. And if you search the hashtag Red Dwarf XII poster you can see the three or four posters that have been submitted over the last two weeks. Red that... Dwarf XII poster. I think that's the hashtag. That's amazing hashtagging, that. Yeah. It just trips off the tongue. Yeah. Well, there's... um. You... Oh, the, the, the prize is you win a poster. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for designing the poster. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think this is a little voiced. <laughs> uh, in other some news, uh, Rob Grant is appearing this weekend at MCM, uh, which is a thing, a convention that's happening, a Comic-Con that's happening in London this weekend. He's appearing in a panel on Sunday with your man, Andrew Marshall. Ah. Uh, that is my man. Your is, man. He, is he my yes. man? Yes. <laughs> I've got news for you. <laughs> uh, Andrew Marshall and Gordon Kennedy uh, in a panel to discuss all things Professor Quanderhorn. Ah. Uh, the Quanderhorn Experiment, whatever it's called. Uh, this this news section is really well researched this week. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know anything. Yeah, All good. four of these are brand new to me. And, um, oh, hold on, hold on. Reverse your uh, your scorn. The prize is 100,000... Uh, no, the prize is 1,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say... 100,000 pounds? I thought you were going to say 100,000 copies of your poster. <laughs> <laughs> The prize is a thousand pounds, which is better than a poster. Uh, we must admit. Um, and yeah, the other news that we normally have around this time of year, uh, obviously, Dimension Gym tickets um, went on sale a couple of weeks ago now. So, uh, Joey and Carrie, you're from the fan club. Do you want to plug the fact that Dimension Gym tickets are still for sale? Um, we don't plug that because they're not for sale. Oh. <laughs> Dimension Gym we is sold out. out. <laughs> Sold out, so go away. No, we're going to be um, releasing in due course a um, standby list, as we did last year. Um, so in case we have any cancellations that we can put forth um, to people that missed out and want to go, because obviously we sold out in the record four days, which Incredible. is just mental. Um, obviously, this does not guarantee that you'll get in. It just gives you a second chance, I guess, in terms of joining us next year. And when that list is open, obviously, follow the usual channels, um, Twitter, Facebook... All yes, Todd Fuck and Todd Fuck underscore DJ Correct. on Twitter, and the official Red Dwarf fan club on Facebook. Yeah, all that shit. But yeah, bloody hell, guys! <laughs> Four days and it sold out. As hey, it's the fans. It's the fans. It's just, just. It's like amazing. obviously it happened a week ago now, but I'm still quite. The point I made then was: Do you remember Peterborough in 2006, 2007, the last one in Peterborough? Yeah. When there were about 110, 120 people yeah. there. Yeah. It was. A tumbleweed going through the corridors of Peterborough, and obviously, weird. obviously, there is there is new Red Dwarf, and I think that's a factor. But also, uh, as a not quite independent observer, <laughs> uh, I have to say that I think the reputation of DJ has increased so much over the last few years because of how good the last few events have been, yeah. and how much hard work gets put in. So well done, you people, uh, for selling out four hundred tickets in four days. Jesus, that is amazing. Jesus. That yeah. is a really amazing. And uh, and so amongst the activities that you could, this is a, a really good segue. Amongst the activities that will be taking place at Dimension Jump, mm. uh, there may be uh, some episodes shown on the screens, and and so you can sit around in the bar and talk about the episodes. And one of the episodes that may be included in that is Mcor, which is an episode mm. of Red Dwarf that's on this time next week. That was pathetic. I, know. <laughs> I thought I had to do something. <laughs> Jesus. That was robot in, wasn't it? Yeah. Segway. <laughs> so, MCOR, this time next week, it's the episode for which the synopsis has already appeared on Dave. <laughs> oh, because God. they accidentally used the synopsis for MCOR to describe Siliconia. <laughs> and it nearly fitted, is it the nearly weird worked, thing. Yeah. So, so, what's going to happen is Lister. It does an upgrade on the ship's systems, which is something that we we'll probably might want to talk about next week. But <laughs> like, there's a lot of 
it upgrades happening. There's a lot of yeah. things happening to the systems. There's a lot of Red Dwarf's system being affected by things two episodes in a row. Yeah. And the the first half of the series, the first three episodes, had lots of jokes that were kind of common throughout the three, usually about Lister's guitar and Omsong and back references like that. Uh, the last three episodes are going to be thematically linked if something goes wrong with Red Dwarf. Well, I mean, you know, one person's thematically linked, there's another person's run out of ideas. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we'll wait and see for, the, for next Well, week. I'm I'm reviewing MCOR. It's my uh, the first review I've done uh, since Lemons. Oh, yeah. Because I nearly died last year and therefore was not available for reviewing <laughs> duties. Lazy. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to be weird. So you'll all enjoy that, I suppose. Yeah. Well, we've heard good things. Were you at the recording for Encore, Joey? Yes, I was. Is, I've heard, is it good? I loved it. I keep I'm hearing sorry. it's the best episode. I'll be, I, everyone I've talked to, I've deliberately avoided spoilers, <clears> but <throat> everyone I talked to and say oh, general thing of the episode, everyone said it's the best one. Mm. So I kind of wish I hadn't picked it now. Because <laughs> <laughs> if off. I hate it... <laughs> You'll be against the grain. <laughs> but no, we, we can expect to see um, Lister as an old man <clears> and then as a young man again. Based on the clips that we've seen, he, we see him getting aged, and he's in his, his long grey hair and, and white suit. Is it the general consensus among the community that M-Core is Megacore from Samsara? I think so. Yeah, I thought so too. I think it would be weird that two separate organisations are referenced in such a short amount of time if they're not supposed to be one and the same. But I guess <laughs> not we'll, unprecedented. <laughs> not unprecedented. Yes, <laughs> I guess we'll find out next week. Um, in which, as well, part of the plot is that um, MCOR is is the company that's taken over JMC in the three million years and various periods in stasis that have elapsed since then, um, and they their products are rendered invisible. No, their rivals' products are rendered invisible to MCOR crew members, and so there's there's invisible things. It's kind of Joe jo is smiling because she knows what the jokes are. I don't know what the jokes are. That's all I know. The the, the the impression I'm getting is it's one big joke about DRM, <laughs> right? That's that's what it feels but like to me. But that if it is, then that's kind of impressive in a way because normally, like you were saying earlier, it's jokes about printers <laughs> not working. It's like it's, it's a, a different real... <laughs> it's a different level of tech savviness to be pissed off about DRM. It, it, it than is. It is. About it is. I've got to admit, it is. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Uh, so yeah, that's that's all coming up next week. Yeah. Um, and I think we've run out of things to say about it. <laughs> so <laughs> that was quite comprehensive. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's wrap it up. Unless the has anyone got any final last minute points to make about um, uh, that we haven't yet got onto? I think I think it's a good thing overall that there's less to say this week than there was last week. I think I think we can all be grateful that we I, haven't had two weeks in a row like Time Wave. I'll tell you what, I for all its faults, um and I think there were many of them, it's the closest we've had to a series one style episode in well, almost since series one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I I they don't go to this well particularly often and balance of power is quite an apt comparison yeah and part of me wishes i enjoyed it a little more than i did because i really enjoy that style of red dwarf and i just i come away a little deflated i'd enjoy it a little more just because what it's aiming for is the kind of red dwarf i really like 
it's pretty only... groovy. It's just pretty bare bones and nice. That's that, I think that's why I like it. It's just it's just simple. It's good. It's what dear Dave was in theory, but not necessarily in practice. Yeah. Of a slice of the kind of thing that happens in everyday life. Mm. Uh, obviously, they don't have presidential elections every day, mm. but. It's the kind of, this is the kind of routine, this is what happens when there isn't uh, a space station to explore or a, or a Gelf on the way. Uh, and I think, yeah, it was a nice, uh, here's one thing we haven't mentioned, is that uh, the first three episodes of the series were all Starbug going on adventure type stories. And the, we barely saw any scenes on board Red Dwarf in the first three episodes. Yeah, and now it's just gone so far the other way in this episode. <laughs> it's like we're we're done with those now. Let's have one that is so Red Dwarf based that it's about how Red Dwarf is run. It's unusual. I'm trying to think of other sitcoms that almost split into two like that. I mean, if you're talking about say, all right, my favourite sitcom at the moment, W1A. W1A doesn't have two different styles of episodes like mm. this, where sometimes you're in this location and sometimes you're in another location. Sitcoms tend to be either randomly going from different locations each episode, or you will stick in one place. But you don't tend to have two different styles. And it's a real kind of, I suppose that's just how Red Dwarf's developed over the years. And it's kind of this odd thing where Doug's clearly deliberately looking back I think it ties into there was a thread that started on our forum today by Chris Carter started it talking about uh, how throughout the Dave era the way that people have been talking about episodes is it's a bit like this series it's a bit like that series I think part of that is um, the way that when people start first started going to the audience recordings for series 10 I think the pe- people saying, oh, don't, it's a bit like Series 6, it's a bit like Series 5, was a way of saying, don't worry, it's not shit. Yes, I think that's I think that, that's what... And it kind of became <coughs> the way that we talk about Red Dwarf, in, in a way. It's like, we, we're it's now... De- we're defining it partly by what it's not, and saying, look, it's like the classic series. And in doing that, I, I wonder if Doug as well separately to the fans' conversation, I'm not saying Doug's been influenced by fan conversation at all, but I'm wondering if he, after series, after Back to Earth, which is not the Red Dwarf he wanted to make, yeah. he said, right, I'm doing series 10, it's six episodes, it's the main cast, it's on board Red Dwarf, I'm going to make it like it was. But Red Dwarf developed so much between series one and six yes. that it developed all these different styles and you know series one and series six are completely different beasts it's not like it was all one big thing that was all the same and then it changed for series seven yeah. so when you when you go back and think this is like classic Red Dwarf that could be anything virtually it could be a bit like Marooned it could be a bit like Meltdown which you know Cured was a bit like this one was a bit like Marooned in, in that sense of, of balance of power is, is like you say a more apt one um, Macocracy was a bit like a series four episode because they're they're all valid comparisons to make because c- classic dwarf is a, a completely wide ranging thing. It's really weird. So you've got like a very series one vibe in uh, Macocracy. Uh, did I say that right? I think so. Well done. Um, but then you've got a massive big dollop of terraform. Uh, terraform demons and angels. Sorry, big massive dollop of demons and angels at the start. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I think I think I think it's definitely true that that fans have uh, compared to previous series for exactly the reason you suggest. I think they're also encouraged to do so because Doug keeps referring back 
mm. previous episodes, which puts the idea in your head already of what am I going to compare this to? Yeah. Um, and I do think it's true that Doug overdoes that. Um, and I don't think he always overdoes it. I mean, Talkie Toaster, this episode, was a perfect example of something that I didn't feel was was overdone. I thought it was perfect. But, yeah, there's a general sense with 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 the show and arguably with fans that we should be trying to look forward, not back. Mm. And I like it when a show look, goes forward and does something new. And although this did have a very serious one vibe, vibe um, the, the presidential election thing felt new in a way that yep. Red Dwarf hasn't done before. And actually at this point, I'm kind of reminded of the maybe the slightly controversial uh, Phil Sandifer uh, writing about Doctor <laughs> Who. I won't get into all that. <laughs> but um, his big thing about Doctor Who is it's been on for so many years, give me something new. All I want is something new. Yeah. I almost don't care what the quality is, just give me something new. <laughs> now, I don't go quite down that road about the quality, but nonetheless, give me something new is a good mantra for Red Dwarf at this point, I think. Yeah. And that, you know, for all its various faults, I think 12 is doing that more so than, than 11 and, and 10. I think um, Siliconia is the best example of it so far, of, of pushing the boundary and doing something that the show's never done before. Uh, portraying that many mechanoids at once, having it be a bit of a a head fuck episode of you know things are a bit things are, are strange, things are weird, and uh, I think that's going to continue from what we've heard of the, of the last <laughs> couple of episodes. But I, I, this was always the thing with with twelve, and I know we'll we'll probably we need to wrap this up in a minute, and this is probably better suited for the final episode. But <laughs> uh, I will say one brief thing. Um, the big rumour going around before this series started, uh, kind of self-made really, I don't think the show really said it, was this series is going to be weird and yeah. different and all the odd episodes. And to me, the show hasn't pushed enough into that. Yeah, but like you said, and in fact in the SFX interview that was published, Richard Naylor, one of his quotes was distancing himself from that, yeah. that idea. Yeah. So I wonder if that's that in retrospect is something that was kind of exaggerated a little bit by the fans. I think so. And, 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 and so and, we're, and in we're our... now comparing it unfavourably to a false impression. I that think got. that's true and I think our, our set reports <laughs> may have, you know, they were, I really enjoyed them but, but maybe pushed a bit too far but... I think we were like maybe looking for patterns. Like people look for patterns in things, that's the way human brains work yeah. and maybe that it was a pattern that wasn't actually there but once the first couple of reports come in you start and say this was pretty out there, you think, oh, this is actually pretty out there too. But I would say that if we made it up, I wish it was true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Well, I think uh, one last thing before we go. One question remains. Would anyone like any toast? No. no toast. Fuck off. Okay. Just... What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this has been a great... G- gags really don't work when <laughs> over, <they're> Skype. <laughs> over Skype <laughs> uh, this has been a, a classic edition of uh, Dwarfcast hasn't it uh, I, think we, I think we ought to wrap up for tonight uh, so, 
All that remains is to say a huge thank you to tonight's guests, uh, Joey Newsom, Carrie Parsons, and Curtis Threadgold, and an equally huge thank you to everyone who listened along and chatted along live and put up with us being a bit shit. Uh, if you missed any of the show, it will be available on www.ganemy.tv and all good podcast feeds on Saturday, followed later in the week by our in-depth review of Macocracy, written by Jonathan Capps. Uh, we'll be back for the next live Dwarfcast at 9pm on Friday, the uh, fucking oh, third, Friday the 3rd of November. I forgot to write it down. Uh, by which time, we'll have upgraded GT only to discover that we're now owned by UKTV, and therefore the Dwarfcast will be hosted by Nick Helm. So, until next week, Ed bye everybody. Ed bye. bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.